0: Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukis. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter. You're on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. Science. Ownership, speed, openness. These are the key attributes of modern, successful companies, according to Andrew McAfee. It is the geeks, the leaders at the forefront of cross-industry innovation, who embrace these norms and have the potential to redefine business as we know it. In order to break ground and create the kind of future we dream of, organizational leaders need to banish the fear of failure, embrace mistakes, and accept hard feedback with open arms. Andrew McAfee is a best-selling author, principal research scientist at the MIT Sloan School of Management, and co-founder of MIT's Initiative on the Digital Economy. His books include More From Less and The Second Machine Age, co-authored with Eric Brynjolfsson. Today on the podcast, we discuss the ideas captured in his new book, The Geek Way, The Radical Mindset That Drives Extraordinary Results. Andrew, welcome to the podcast.
1: Jim, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Is the geek way really the Silicon Valley way? Is no. is this book? Is this book saying here's how to turn your company into um, a, a a a tech a tech startup?
1: Yeah, you mentioned both Silicon Valley and tech and This book is not about either of those. It's not (laughs) about a region and it's not about an industry. It's about a set of practices. And I think a lot of the confusion comes because those practices were incubated and largely formulated in this region called Silicon Valley, in this industry that we call tech. So I understand the confusion, but... I'm not writing about the Valley. Plenty of people do that. I'm not writing about the tech industry. Plenty of people do that. What th- The phenomenon that I don't think we are paying enough attention to is this set of practices and philosophies that I-, I believe when bundled correctly amount to a flat old upgrade to the company, just a better way to do the thing a company is supposed to do. That needed a label because it's new. Uh, geek is the label that I uh, latched onto.
0: But there's a universal aspect to this. I
1: I believe, yeah, I believe there is. Uh, I I believe that it's and this, I, I understand this sounds arrogant. I believe it's a flat, better way to run a company. I don't care where in the world you are. I don't care what industry you're in if you're making decisions based on evidence if you're iterating more and planning less if you're building a modular uh, organization that really does give people authority and responsibility and if you build an organization where people are are actually comfortable speaking truth to power i think you're going to do better
0: now see one reason i'm excited about this book because you know you you as well we've we've we think about technological progress we think about economic growth and productivity and part of that is sort of science and coming up with new ideas and a new technology but all that stuff has to actually be turned into a commercial enterprise and and there has there has to be well-run companies that take that that idea and, and sell it so That's a pretty, I mean, maybe the economist word might be diffusion or something like that, but that's a pretty big part of the story, which I think, you know, maybe economists tend not to focus as, as much on or policy people, but it's pretty darn important. And that's, and that's what I think is so exciting about your book is that it addresses that, how to create companies that, that, that can do That can do that process, that 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 invention to product better. So so, how can they do it better?
1: Let me quibble with you just a little bit. Uh, There are alternatives to this method of getting goods and services to people called the company. That's what we do in capitalist societies. Jim, like, you know, all too well over the course of the 20th century, we ran a couple experiments trying it a different way. Those, these collectivist command and control yes. um, centrally planned economies. Those were horrible failures. Let's just establish that right off the bat. So in most of the parts of the world, I think in all the parts of the world where you and I would actually want to live now I agree with you. We've settled on this method of getting most goods and services to people, most of what they consume, via these entities called companies. And I don't care if you're in a Nordic social democracy or in uh, the, the U.S. of A. or in, um, you know, most most other in Southeast Asia, companies are the things getting you most of what you consume. I think in the United States, about 85 percent of what you and I consume, by some estimates, comes from companies. So like them or hate them they're incredibly important and if if a doohickey comes along that lets them do their work x percent better we should applaud that like crazy because that's an x percent increase in our affluence our standard of living the, the things that we care about and the reason i got excited and decided to write this book is i think there's an upgrade to the company going on that's at the same level as the stuff that um chandler wrote about a century ago when we invented the large professionally managed pretty big company those right. dominated the corporate landscape throughout the 20th century i think that model is being upgraded by the geeks
0: it's funny because you know um i i suppose maybe some of the geeks 50 years ago maybe they all maybe a lot of them worked at ibm and uh your your sort of uh your sort of you know geek norms are not what I think of the old big blue from IBM in the nineteen sixties. That is that has changed. So before we get into like the norms sort of like how did they develop? Like why why do we even have examples of this working in the real corporate world?
1: Short answer is I don't know exactly. That's a pretty detailed piece of you know corporate history and economic <laughs> history to work on. The the um the longer answer is what I think happened is a lot of computer nerds who had spent a lot of time at universities and were pretty steeped in that style of learning things and building things went off and started companies, and in lots of cases they ran into the classic difficulties that occur to companies and the dysfunctions that creep in as companies grow and age and scale. And instead of kind of accepting them, my definition of a geek is somebody who's tenacious about a problem and is willing to is willing to embrace unconventional solutions. I think a lot of these geeks and I'm talking about people like Reed Hastings, who's really articulate about what he did at Netflix and at his previous company, which he says he ran into mediocrity. And he, a lot of these geeks like Hastings sat around and said, wait a minute, if if I wanted to not repeat these mistakes, what would I do differently? And they noodled that hard problem for a long time. And I think via some, um, some, some, conversation among the geeks but via these fairly independent vectors in a lot of cases they have settled on these practices these norms that they believe and i believe help them get past the classic dysfunctions of the industrial era that you and i know all too well right their bureaucratization their sclerosis their cultures of silence they are just kind of endless stifling meetings and turf wars and factions and things like that we we you know we 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 could we know those things exist. What I think is interesting is that the geeks are aware of them, and I think they've come up with ways to do better.
0: It's funny that once you've looked at your book, it is impossible to look to like read any other sort of like business biography of a company or a CEO and not keep these ideas in your head. Because I I was I just finished up the Elon Musk uh, oh, yeah. biography by Walter Isaacson, and boy you. you I just kept on thinking of, 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 of speed and, speed. and, 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 and science and the, and, and the, the, you know, the questioning of everything that like, yep. you know, why are we doing this and why are we building this rocket engine like this? Why, right. who, who told us to do that? We're yeah. we just, somebody legal told us to
1: do that. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know,
0: and so you'd be, so certainly, and th- those who popped to mind meet the sort of the speed and the, sort of the yeah. constant iteration uh, but, but but rather than have me describe them, why don't you why don't you describe those the, those norms in a probably a much better way than I can.
1: There's a deep part of the Isaacson Musk biography that that made my geek eyes light up, and it's when Isaacson describes Musk's algorithm. I, I, I think and, it's yeah. capitalized too. It's capital the capital algorithm, which yeah. is all about taking stuff out. And man, I think that is profound because we humans, we have a very strong status quo bias. We are reluctant to take things out. It's one of the best documented human biases. And so we just add stuff. We just layer stuff on. And before you know it, for a couple different flavors of reason, you wind up with this kind of overbuilt, encrusted Process heavy, bureaucracy heavy, can't get anything done. You know, you feel like you're pushing on a giant a piece of jello or something to try to get any work done. And I think part of musk part of Musk's brilliance as a, a builder and an organization designer is to come up with the algorithm that says, no, no, a big part of your job is to look, is to figure out what doesn't need to be there and make it go away. I, I adore that. It's closest to my great geek norm of ownership, which is really the opposite of this processification of the enterprise, of the company that we were super fond of starting in the 90s and going forward. So to, now to answer your question, yeah. my four yeah. great geek norms, which are epitomized by Musk in a lot of ways, but not always, are science, just make decisions based on evidence and Argue a lot about that evidence. Science is an argument with a ground rule. Evidence rules. Um, Ownership. We were just talking about this. Devolve authority downward. Stop all the cross communication, coordination, collaboration process, all that. Build a modular organization. Speed. Uh, Do the minimum amount of planning and then start iterating. You learn, you get feedback, you, you see where you're keeping up to schedule and where you're not by doing stuff and getting feedback, not by sitting around asking everybody if they're on schedule and doing a lot of upfront planning. And then finally, openness, this willingness to speak truth to power. In some ways, a good synonym for it is psychological safety and a good antonym for it is defensiveness. And if anything, from what I understand about Musk, the last one is where he might run into challenges.
0: That's what I was going to say. The, the, you know, the ownership and the speed and the sides struck me that I'm like, you know, the, the openness, uh, well, you have to be, you have to be willing to take some abuse to be open uh, in that, in that environment.
1: And there are these stories about him firing people on the spot and making these kind of peremptory decisions. Yep. All, all of that is viol is a violation in my eyes of the great geek norm of openness. It might be the most common violation that I see classic Silicon Valley techies engage in they fall victim to overconfidence like the rest of us do and they they're not careful enough about designing their companies to be a check on their own overconfidence this is something hastings is super very 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 humble and very articulate about in no rules rules the book that he co-wrote with aaron myers about netflix and he he highlights all these big calls that he was dead flat wrong about and he eventually realized that he had to build Netflix into a place that would that would tell him he was wrong when he was wrong. And he does all these really nice jobs of highlighting areas where he was wrong. And then some relative, relatively low-level person in the organization says, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to go gather evidence, and I'm going to challenge the CEO of the company with it. And to his eternal credit, Hastings goes it's pretty compelling evidence i i wish I, I guess i was wrong about that so that to me is is actually practicing the great geek norm of openness so
0: so so someone reading this book is thinking that this book is wrong mm. you know wh- where where would that come from would that come from like would that come from a, again from overconfidence would it come from arrogance would have come from again the idea that if i'm if i'm in the c-suite that obviously i haven't figured out and i can probably do all your jobs better than you can so why are you so just you know so why so why are you challenging me why are you challenging the status quo hey that's how we got here was through a process so don't trust the process
1: It's one of the main flavors of pushback that I hear. And it's very often not as as naked as you just made it, but it is, hey, the reason I'm sitting in this executive education classroom with you is because I'm fairly good at my job. I made some big calls, right? Right. And my job is to provide vision to my team and to direct them, not to be this kind of, you know, lead from behind, more coachy kind of leader. Uh, that's one flavor of pushback I get. Another one is a very pervasive tendency when we come across some challenging information to, to come up with reasons why this doesn't apply to us and why, why we're going to be just fine. It's some combination of the status quo bias and the overconfidence bias, which again, two of the most common human biases. And so very often when I'm talking about this, I get the idea that people in the room are going, yeah, okay. You, you know, wow, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't want to complete with SpaceX, but this doesn't apply to me or to my industry. And then finally, look, you know, I'm I'm clearly wrong about some things. I don't know exactly what they are. Uh maybe, maybe the incumbents of the enterprise era are gonna mount a surprising comeback by falling back on their 20th century playbook as opposed to adopting the geek way. I will be very surprised if that happens. And I'm I'm taking bets, like let, let, let's go, let's figure out a bet based on that, but maybe it'll happen. Happen. I'm definitely wrong about some things.
0: So given what you said, I would I would certainly think that it would it would be easier to apply these norms at a newer company, a younger company, a smaller company, rather than some that rather than a company with a hundred thousand employees that's been around for you know 30, 30 years. So is that but it's possible to do the second one, right?
1: It is possible. Let me let me violently agree with you, Jim. You and I are of a vintage, and we're both Midwesterners. We both remember Arthur Anderson, right? Yeah. And what what an iconic American Midwestern symbol of rectitude and 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 reliability and and a healthy culture that kept the business world honest by auditing their books. Remember all that? Remember how it fell apart? I,
0: I knew people and they got it. If you got a, you got an interview with Arthur Anderson, they're like, wow, you, that, that is, you are with the Cadillac of like accounting
1: consulting. But, firms. And, but beyond that, you, like you were doing a valuable thing for society, right? These people had status yes, yes. in the community because they kind of kept companies honest for a living. And that's right. It's
0: right. You were true of the truth. Teller, yeah. Sure.
1: It was a big deal. And, and a lot of your listeners, I think are going to be too young to remember it firsthand, but that company became a dysfunctional unethical (laughs) ongoing (laughs) just miserable train wreck of an organization in its final years before it finally fell apart it could not have been more surprising to people of of our vintage and where we came from i tell the story of how that happened a little bit in the book to drive home that cultures can go off track in profound ways and in in AA's late years, I mean, if, if someone had, had teleported the geek way and waved it around, would it have made any difference? I'd like to hope so, but I, I kind of don't think so. However, to tell a more optimistic story, um, like you know, I had the chance to interview Satya Nadella about his Turnaround at Microsoft, which I think is at a level maybe even above the turnaround that Jobs executed when he came back to Apple. The amount of value that Nadella has created at Microsoft in what nine years now is staggering. And Microsoft is back. Microsoft has Mojo again in the tech industry. But when he took over, Microsoft was still a large profitable company, but it was dead in the water. It wasn't innovating. the the, the 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 geek elite didn't want to go work there the stock price w- was f- was flat as a highway for a decade it i mean it, it was absolutely an afterthought in anything that we care about and so i i used nadella and I, I learned from him and i tried to tell the story about how he executed his comeback and to my eyes he did it in a very very geek way kind of a way so, yeah, so I, my example, my point in telling this story the, is yeah. I yeah. do think it's possible for organizations that find themselves in a bad spot, established, established organizations, large established organizations that find themselves in a bad spot. Yeah, that 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 those kinds of leopards can change their spots. I firmly believe that.
0: What are, what are the first steps you to change a corporate culture of a big company? I can't. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, it was. It, that's right. why I mean- I'm so blown away by what Nadella and his team were able to do. Let me pick out a couple things that seem particularly geeky to me that he did. One was to say uh, that you, doesn't matter if you develop them or not, you do not own code or data at Microsoft. And what he meant by that was subject to legal requirements and safety and some guardrails. If you want to grab some of the code repository at Microsoft to go try something or some data to go try something, you have the right to do that. And that just eliminates huge amounts of gatekeeping and hard and soft bureaucracy and all of that inside the company. And it led to things like Copilot. It's it's a very very smart way to start dealing with bureaucracy. Just saying no. You like you don't get to gatekeep anymore. He also uh, did fairly obvious things like uh, make sure that their their really dysfunctional evaluation system was over. He also emphasized the the this thing that he called one Microsoft, which at first sounded like just you know CEO rah rah talk. Yeah, And it is yeah. to some extent, but it's also incredibly clever because we humans are so tribal. Um, in addition to the status quo bias and the overconfidence bias, the third, the third easy, easy bias to elicit is my side bias. We are tribal. We want our tribe to win. And I think part of Nadella's brilliance was to say there's the tribe that you belong to is not office versus Windows versus Bing versus the tribe you belong to is Microsoft. And he probably changed he changed compensation. So it also worked that way. You know, he worked with incentives. He took an econ 101 class, but he also kept emphasizing that we are one tribe. And that makes a difference if the leader at the top keeps saying it and if they behave that way. And I think one of the deepest things that he did was act in an open way and demonstrate the norm of openness that he wanted to see all over the place. He got a ton of help with it. But if you talk to him, you immediately realize that he's not this table pounding my way or the highway kind of a guy. He's somebody that wants to get it right. And if you have an idea, you might get a fair airing for that idea. Uh, He also embraced agile methods and started to move away from the old ways that Microsoft had to write software, which were out of date. And they were yielding some really unimpressive projects. So as he and I were talking, I was doing my internal checklist and I kept on saying, yep, that that's that's speed. That is uh, that is science. That is ownership. That is openness. And and just emphasizing, as I listened to him, I just kept hearing these norms come up over and over. But one thing that he clearly knows is that this ain't easy and it ain't fast and cultural change is a long, slow grinding process. And you've got to keep saying the same thing over and over. And then I think, especially as a leader, you've got to keep living it because people will immediately sense if what you're doing is not lining up with what you're saying.
0: Uh, one one bit that just popped out because obviously I'm in Washington, and you know I I see a, I see a government that doesn't you know work very efficiently, yeah. and I and you wrote to accelerate learning and progress, plan less and iterate more. And to iterate means to experiment. It means yep. to you're gonna fail, and boy oh boy, uh, f- you know failure averse organizations you can find you can, that that's you can find that in government, you can find it in corporate America. Totally that that acceptance of you know try something and if it fails you know it, it's a learning experience it's not a black mark on your career forever that's now let's go now let's go you know try the next thing
1: it, it, exactly it it's the to me it's the most obvious thing that the geeks do that's starkly different from industrial era organizations that plan less iterate more the great geek norm of speed and there are a bunch of great uh, of exemplars of that the clearest one to me is spacex where they blow up a rocket and that is a win for them not a loss and even if it gets written up in the press as oh starship blew up or whatever they don't care right? They, they'd rather that it didn't blow up or that it stayed together longer. But if they got the learning that they were looking for, then they're like, great, we're going to incorporate that. We're going to build another rocket. We're not going to put any people on until we're very, very, very sure. But we're going to blow up a bunch of rockets. And th- from the start of the company, that has been an okay thing to do. They also are willing to embrace pretty big pivots. The first plan for starship was that it was going to be a carbon fiber rocket because carbon fiber is so uh strong and lightweight but their method for making it was too slow too expensive and had a a reject rate that was too high the things now made out of stainless steel it's it's the opposite kind of material but they said look the goal is the goal and the goal is not to stick to the original plan the goal is to build a great big rocket that can do all kinds of things the way we get there is by trying, legitimately trying a bunch of stuff and failing at it, with the eyes of the world upon us. And I want to draw a really sharp distinction between the process and the product. And what I mean by that is a a, a failure tolerant process can le- can yield an incredibly robust, uh, safe product. And we don't need to look any farther from that for that than the Dragon capsule that SpaceX makes, which is the only capsule currently made in America that is certified by NASA to take human beings into space. It's how all Americans these days get back and forth to the ISS. NASA doesn't have one. NASA gave a contract to Boeing at the same time it gave one to SpaceX. Uh, Boeing still has not had the first crude test of its capsule. Like the, this geek way of speed it's uncomfortable and you got to be willing to fail publicly and and own it man but it works better uh is
0: the geek way to some degree an american phenomenon so far can you it, i was gonna can can the geek way be implemented uh, in other is there something special about american culture that allows the geek way to work and to be adopted and you know i said universal earlier maybe i meant now is it is it truly universal can it can it be can it be implemented in other places
1: jim you and i as proud americans like to believe that we're an exceptional country and i do believe that (laughs) i don't believe the geek way only works a bunch of americans trying it i i travel lots of different places and especially the energy that I see among younger people to be part of this transformation of the world that's happening that you and I are lucky enough to get to observe and try to to think about this transformation of the world in the 21st century because of the technological toolkit that we have because of the amount of innovation out there. The thirst to be part of that is very, very, very widespread. And I don't think there's anything in the drinking water in munich or 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 kyoto um or or uh, lima that makes this stuff impossible at all it is true we're an individualistic culture we're kind of mouthy we celebrate these iconoclastic people but i don't think any of those are um absolutely necessary in order to start following norms of science ownership speed and openness i, I hope those are universal
0: uh, we we uh we have to, uh, the examples we've been talking a lot about tech companies. Mm-hmm. Are there co- are there companies which really don't seem particularly techy, even though obviously a te- all companies use technology that you that you can that you could see the geek way working currently. I
1: I'm, I haven't. Gone off and looked outside the tech industry for great exemplars of Mm -hmm. the geek way. So I have trouble answering this question, but think about Bridgewater, which is really one of the weirdest corporate cultures ever invented. And I haven't read the new biography of uh, Ray Dalio yet, but it, it appears that all might not be exactly as it appears. But one thing that Bridgewater has been adamant about from the get go and Dalio has been passionate about is this idea of radical transparency is the idea of openness. Your reputation is not private for anybody else in the company at any point in time. Uh, So they've taken this norm of openness and they've really ran with it in some fascinating directions. In most organizations, there's a lot of information that's private and your reputation is spread by gossip. Literally, that's how it works. Uh, Bridgewater said, nope, we really believe in openness and everything that's important about your performance as a professional in this company, you're going to get rated on it by your colleagues and you're going to have these visible to everybody all the time inside the company. So that if you start espousing how important it is to be ethical but your score as an ethical leader is really low nobody's going to listen to you i think that's fascinating and i I think as time goes by we're going to come across these uh, very very geeky norms and practices being um implemented in all kinds of weird corners of the global economy i I can't wait to learn about it
0: Uh, i i would i i would think that given given the uh how Every every country would like to be more productive. There's one every country is having a white paper on how to yeah. improve their productivity, <laughs> yeah. and you know and, and this to me is, is maybe something that policymakers don't 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 think about. And I'm not sure if there's a policy. If there's a, if, if there's a policy aspect to this. But uh, well, hope, but 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 I but I hope a lot of a lot of corporate leaders and aspiring corporate leaders at least read your book. Well, the
1: the one policy implication that that might come up is what happens when the geeks start unignorably beating up the incumbents in your favorite industry. And when I look at mm. what's happening in the in the global auto industry right now, I see some of that going on. And my prediction is that it's going to get worse instead of better. Okay, then what happens when
0: Save us. Save us from this upstart.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then what (laughs) then there could be some really uh, interesting policy choices being made about protecting dinosaur incumbents in the face of geek competitors. I hope we don't retreat into nationalism and protectionism and that kind of stuff. Uh, What I hope happens instead is that the world learns how to get geeky relatively quickly and that this upgrade to the company spreads.
0: I, the only other thing I would add here is I, I would also urge business journalists to read the book so you understand how companies work and how these new companies that work, companies that look like they are, the club, really, not to keep harping on SpaceX, but so many people I think should know better will look at SpaceX and think... Oh, they're 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 failing. Oh, that ah. rocket! Right, as you said, the the rocket blew up. Apollo had a couple of problems. They're blowing up a rocket every six weeks, and they just simply do not understand how this kind of company works. So I don't know. So I I, I guess I would recommend my business journalist to read it. Um, uh, and I, and I imagine you would. Yeah, you that, that, that recommendation makes
1: a ton of sense to me, Jim. I'm I'm all on board with that.
0: Uh Andrew, uh this is an outstanding book and a wonderful companion piece to your to your other work, which is very pro-progress and pro-growth. I absolutely loved it and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Today. Jim,
1: thanks for being part of the upwing party with me. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, you sir.